I'm Matt Downing, and welcome to Diving Deep EDU. Curious conversations with all types of peeps. Encouraging innovation, we are diving deep. Certainly education is what we like to speak. Fervent with dedication, now it is time to teach. The Diving Deep EDU podcast aims at thought-provoking conversations that help listeners dive deeper into educational practices with a focus on teacher retention, teacher recruitment, and burnout. Subscribe to the Diving Deep EDU podcast newsletter to get more information about this podcast and these topics. Link is in the show notes. Our guest today is Lena Marie Soleil, the EdTech guru. Lena is a former educator with 10 plus years of classroom experience. She has always been extremely passionate about the modern world of technology and how it transfers into the classroom to make students workforce ready. Lena has also been a longtime teacher transition advocate. Lena, thanks so much for joining me on this podcast. I want to start the conversation off by you telling us a little bit more about the work you're currently doing. Awesome. I'm so excited to be here today and um, to be sharing this with your listeners. Um, Yeah, so a little bit about what I'm doing. Um, I currently am a design educator at Canva. So I basically curate content for our Canva learning consultants. So just kind of facilitating and helping um, teachers learn how to use Canva and the different applications that there are. I also um, do have my own YouTube channel slash podcast. Um, where I just talk about different trends in ed tech and then also talk about teacher transition and the whole process of teacher transitioning. And then I am yeah. also a co-host of a podcast called The Voices of E-Learning. And so we sit down with cool. industry experts and just dissect the different things that are happening in education and some different ways that we can help to basically thwart the crisis ahead. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. When we're thinking about Canva, what are some of your favorite tools to use within Canva or some of your favorite aspects of Canva? Ooh, such a good question. Um, <laughs> I've been a longtime user of Canva before I actually started uh, working at Canva. Um, I started using it actually actually in my classroom with my students long ago. But I would say one of my favorite features of Canva um, that I always like to suggest for educators to use is the whiteboarding feature. Mm. Um, I just really enjoy that there's an infinite amount of space and that you can just like copy and paste things really easily. You can copy a link and it just goes right in there or copy a YouTube link and you don't have to like insert a player and like do all those types of things. Um, And you can collaborate with 50 people at one time. Pretty neat. Yeah. And then I would say the other nice feature I love about Canva is, you know, I've always been a big advocate of Google Docs and Google Mm -hmm. and all of those types of things. But working in Google Slides can sometimes be tricky um, in that you don't really have everything that you need, all the tools that you need to basically, you know, create really good (laughs) slide decks or really good content presentations. Um, And Canva kind of has everything in there for you to use, which is really Mm. nice. As we think about e-learning and especially within K-12, I'd like to get your, your insight into that a little bit before we move on any further. What's some things that you've seen that have been done well? As you look at, you know, e-learning, kids learning while they're at home, away from the in-person classroom, what's some things you've seen that have been done well that you're like, yeah, 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 they hit that on the mark? Um, Because a lot of times people are complaining about e-learning, like the kids need to be in the classroom, the kids need to be face to face. And I agree there's some benefits to that. and, And it's a good thing. But 
I also think that's a good thing for many of these e-learning experiences. And I'd like to get your insight on that. Yeah, I would say also a really good question, but I would say (laughs) a really great thing about e-learning. And I think that was underrepresented. One, the pandemic Mm. really highlighted the opportunity for people to do e-learning, but e-learning has been around for a long time. It's not like it just popped up from the pandemic. Um, i Back when I was teaching, I actually took a workshop for the flipped classroom. Hmm. And um, there were actually two guys who came and led like a workshop on how to like flip your classroom and do different things like that. So that was even happening back in like 2008. Um, And as educators, we decided we wanted to do the same sort of thing. We wanted to flip our classroom and try to take some of the lessons um, and just give the students some learning experiences that wouldn't have to be always direct instruction and would be really great for small group. Um, I taught elementary, so we would sit around the table. And so the other Mm. students in the classroom needed different things to do. But it didn't necessarily mean that I needed to be at the center all the time. So I think flipping the the flipped classroom model has changed and pivoted, you know, async, synchronous, Mm -hmm. whatever terms Mm -hmm. we're using these days. Um, (laughs) But, you know, it changes. It'll change probably in a few (laughs) days to something else, which is fine. Um, But I think the flipped classroom model has been really impactful for a for a lot of learners. If you think about Duolingo, it's kind of the same thing. You're learning something as you're going. Mm. It's the interactive element of what students can do. A lot of learning doesn't necessarily mean that the teacher needs to stand at the front of the room and deliver the content. We live in a world that's highly connected. It's not going to stop being connected. So Mm -hmm. how can we bring that to learners? And I think what I've seen um, as far as e-learning goes is just really taking your lessons and creating them into bite-sized pieces of content. One, there you can use them year over year and just modify and change a couple of things. Two, it gives students the ability to rewind, rewatch, and um, really is good for a variety of learners to kind of take those pieces away. And then um, I would just say that um, what I've seen from the pandemic and e-learning is that sometimes e-learning, and if we've seen this with educators and networking and different things, is that it kind of gives you the opportunity to be more authentic. Hmm. I think a lot of times students were afraid to ask questions and they would sit in the back of the room. And during the pandemic, you were seeing students ask questions. They weren't afraid. They would send a private message to the teacher and say, hey, I'm really struggling with this. Can you help me? And the teacher could pull them into a breakout room and do some intentional learning that was uninterrupted. In the classroom, hmm. it's really difficult to do uninterrupted tutoring or yeah. you know, small group instruction. Some, somebody's always doing something somewhere at any given time that the teacher has to stop multiple times to do re- reinforcement. So I think sometimes that was an under, under you know, overlooked part of the yeah. pandemic is that opportunity for students to actually advocate for themselves. Yeah, thanks for sharing that. I, li- I like how you shared, one, the model. Um, like a flipped learning classroom model. And that's interesting because people can get their heads around that and not focusing on what can't be done, but focusing on what should be done through a certain model. So I really appreciate that. And then also bringing up the way that virtual learning could be helpful for certain students. That's really interesting that a student that might not want to speak up in a, a classroom of 30 other students would might might send a chat message or or might ask to to have a, a private one-on-one tutor uh, session in a breakout room so that's really that's really helpful and that's really insightful and I appreciate uh, you sharing that and I appreciate a lot of your focus on transformative use of technology within the classrooms and we really could have a whole conversation on that because I, f- I also find that interesting and you bring a lot of insight into that but I want to focus our conversation I want to pivot a little bit and I want to talk about another one of your focuses which is teachers transitioning out of the classroom. 
And I want to get your opinion and I want to hear from you uh, from what you've experienced, but also what you're hearing as you're working with teachers transitioning out of the classroom. So I want to start with sort of an open-ended question. What do you think causes teachers to want to leave the classroom? <sighs> it's deep. Uh, we could spend a lot of time thinking about that. But but I think the really um, the gist of everything of why teachers are really wanting to leave the classroom is the workload is just really intense. It's mm. not a forgiving place. You know, in any sort of other industry you work in, you have a nine to five and that's it. Your work is done in nine to five. Unfortunately, with teaching, you work nine to five but you still didn't do all the other tasks that you needed to do for the day. So you need to take it home. And so your nine to five is now an 80 hour work week rather than mm -hmm. a 40 hour work week. And that can be really um, triggering and really difficult to kind of manage that. In addition to that, the teaching workplace can get really nasty really quick. <laughs> and I say that because if you spend five minutes in a teacher's lounge, I used to always avoid the teacher's lounge because it would really stress me out. And I would find that misery loves company and I would start complaining too. And, you know, about my students, about this and all the other aspects. But the reason why it gets that way and why teachers sometimes are so, and this isn't always the case, but I've worked in a lot of buildings and met a lot of teachers. And this seems to be a common theme is that Teachers are so willing to throw each other under the bus, I think, because there is no other way to get, you, you don't get salary bumps, you don't get recognition in any other mm -hmm. way. So it becomes kind of a competitive place versus being the collaborative place where it should be. Um, so I think teachers are seeking other opportunities in addition to the pay is just not great, right? Who yeah. wants to work two, three jobs to be able to put food on the table? Um, as much as you love working with students and the different things like that, there's not growth potential. So that mm -hmm. becomes a really big sticking point. And I think the pandemic, I don't think, but the pandemic really opened Pandora's box for being able to show teachers that there are other opportunities out there for them that they would have never known about before. Yeah, so that's helpful. So we have these three. We have the workload, we have the teacher workplace and sort of negative aspects of that, and then also the pay. So let's explore those in a little bit greater depth. So let's focus first on uh, workload. So if we, have, if we have a teacher here and we say your day is like whatever, let's just say nine to five, even though it's different for different teachers, right? Some are earlier, like, like seven to three or whatever. But so you have nine to five. And they have their prep time and they have this time and they have that time. So why aren't they able to get all of that work done within the work day? So they're getting paid for that time, right? So why aren't they able to do all of the work that they should be able to do during that time and then having to take it home and spend another couple hours a day on that work? It obviously varies from building to building yeah. um, of what teachers' expectations are and those types of things. But yes, you do have your prep time and it varies, especially in education. It's even less of prep time as it is in the middle school and high school areas. A student will come in, they need extra tutoring, so they have to come in during that time. In other schools I've worked at, my prep time or off time would be the same time as kids. So we'd be eating lunch, but also having to do, you know, the lunch duty and the recess oh, wow. duty and all of those types of things. So often there aren't enough people to actually fulfill the roles within the school. So you actually don't really have prep time. Yeah. Majority of the time we'd have prep time and then it would be with a meeting and the meeting would be, you know, with the with other stakeholders in the building and those different types of aspects compound over time. And so if you're thinking about your normal school day, you have students before the bell rings. So you don't have that prep time. Students are in your classroom. Then you 
have your, you know, what is called your prep time, but then now you have an IEP meeting or you have mm. something else during that time. So then your work time is, then that time is gone. And then maybe a student comes in and they need additional help or you're mm-hmm. being asked to give specialized instruction to these students to kind of get them over the line or across the bubble or, you know, different intentions. And then your work time that you normally would have had, you're normally eating hopefully using the bathroom in this very limited (laughs) amount of time where you have your lunch and being able to do everything all at once. So that's why teachers tend to come really, really early or they tend to stay really, really late. Yeah, you did a good job of of painting a chaotic picture from start (laughs) to finish, having all these things like the meetings and the the students eating lunch in the classroom and even Mm -hmm. having a couple minutes to use the bathroom. Why do you think it's been ingrained? And again, this is just like opinion, like we're just talking, trying to like contemplate about these things, but it seems wrong. You know, it seems wrong that teachers would be expected to work like that. Why do you think those expectations are there? Like for a teacher to work in the way that you just described, like a regular work week. And that's normal. And some people would be like, oh, that's actually a good work day. I'll I'll go work there. (laughs) Why do you think that's been like ingrained in the the system of of teaching? I think that teachers are just giving people. Mm. People come in and they want to give. And I think that it often we take advantage of it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and then it, now it's just become a custom, right? Like that's just norm. Like that's just a normalized mm. day is knowing that you're maybe going to use the bathroom if you're lucky. Um, you know, you're going to have multiple interruptions throughout the day. Those are, those are just ingrained over time. And I think, I think what started to happen is that instead of looking back and, you know, reflecting on how we can kind of change things, we just go year to year without making changes and adding new things. There's never any reflection about why isn't this working? How can we have happier teachers? How can we do things better? Mm -hmm. There are glimmers of schools doing that and trying to, you know, trying to make that ability for teachers to have think time and to have intentional think time. Yeah. Um, but I would say overall, the system is just quite broken. It's just, hmm. it's just something that worked when there was a one room schoolhouse and there yep. was nobody else to do anything. And I think hmm. that that structure just has stuck over time and yeah. they never thought about like, Oh, let's give them a bathroom. break. <laughs> oh, hopefully they can get some water today <laughs> or, you know, um, hopefully they can eat their lunch. Like those are just not, yeah. you know, specific things that we think about in a traditional day-to-day model of teaching. Now you mentioned uh, glimmers of hope. And some schools do do a good job of or a better job of creating these systems that are nurturing to teachers and helpful and energizing and like feel like fresh and vibrant. So with your experience, what would have been some schools that have done things well, like maybe maybe talking about workload or the workplace environment or pay or just in general, like what are some glimmers of hope that you have seen that schools have done well for teachers? Yeah. So when I was in Colorado, I now currently live in Houston and taught in Austin before this. Uh, But I was at a STEM school called STEM Lab and there's STEM Lab and there's STEM Launch. And they were kind of the first STEM schools of their kind, but they were led by Kelly Loth. And um, what she did what that was uniquely different was making sure that there were intentional plan times and that your plan times were definitely uninterrupted. So you would have one time where you'd actually even sit down with an instructional coach and you'd have the ability to kind of work together. And it was meant to be as collaborative as possible. So you and your teammate would meet together and you would come up with plans and you would, you know, co-teach and co-plan. And that was like highly encouraged. Hmm. But in addition to that, the professional development that was being offered at the schools, you know, it's mandatory for you to have these sort of sessions. Three 
three weeks out of the month. So we would have four, we'd have four Wednesdays. They were early release days for students, but we'd have four work days that were professional development time. And one was mandatory by the district and the other three were kind of up in the air. And so they would actually call on other educators in the building to lead these sessions um, and to teach. And so that everyone can learn from each other because everyone is, there are so many experts in your building. Yeah that you can really learn from them and really, you know, foster that sort of environment. And so being able to give that intention and being able to give teachers mm. the time to think, and then you would come back at it after the end of a unit and you would have reflection time and you would say, oh, that didn't work or, or this worked or, yeah. you know, those types of things. And so I've seen that, I've seen that across a lot of buildings at this point um, that have done that. And the ones that are doing that well and fostering that collaborative environment, but also giving teachers time to think and mm. also having them be experts and be able to teach others those skill sets that others are seeking is really important to yeah. having them be a key component. As far as pay, I've never really experienced <laughs> um, that high level of pay, um, except for like doing extra work like clubs or those yeah, types of yeah. things. So that I can't really speak to. But as far as like just the general well-being and excitement cool. that teachers have, um, that's what I have seen works yeah. well. Yeah, so t let's get into that Wednesday a little bit more. So what does that look like? Like how much time did you have together? And, you know, was it one teacher leading the whole school? Did you have breakout sessions? Give us a little bit more insight because it sounded like that was a really positive experience. Mm -hmm. So we would actually, it would be like breakout rooms essentially. So you would get to sign up for a session that you wanted to go to and then you would okay. go to that teacher's room and oh, nice. they would teach you, you know, I don't know. One time we had Schoology was like a big thing yeah. at the time. Um, so we had like a Schoology session or a code.org session or something oh, like cool. that. And so teachers would come and we would facilitate a workshop and a session with hands-on learning experiences for the teachers. And so they would get oh, to nice. kind of choose where they wanted to go. Um, and then in order to count the hours, obviously they'd give feedback. So that all in turn was a really good feedback cycle and loops you know, hmm. to be able to learn from each other. And about how long did that run in order to be able to get an effective PD session? Usually, I, I want to say it's been a while now, but I want to yeah. say they were about like 60 to 90 minutes. I think okay. it was the amount of time, amount of time yeah. that you were spending um, during those right. sessions. And then you also mentioned that they created these times, they sectioned them off. So you would have prep time. Mm -hmm. What What was that like? Like, what was the length of that? And was that every day? That that happened or was it sporadic? Yeah. So you would have your like normal prep time and then you would have, I want to say it was two intentional days a month where you would sit down and they would be like, they actually oh, the would, call yeah, the they would call day? in a sub. Yeah. They would call in a They would come, oh, wow. they would call in a sub. And, um, so it may not have been two a month, but they would call in a sub and That's you would wild. be done for the day. And then you would have intentional plan time with the instructional coaches. And, um, we had PBL coordinators at the time. And so you would all sit in a room and kind of come up with different oh, wow. things for your unit planning. So it was really nice to have that. Now I've never seen another school do that where they pay for I subs haven't. for you to plan no. inside of the day, but that was, that was really amazing. And think about it, like, I asked you the question, like, what glimmers of hope have you seen? And that was the first thing that you mentioned, you know, that time to plan and mm -hmm. to, to be able to imagine and create and reflect and collab, you know, with another person and create these lessons where, where kids are creating and doing interesting things. And that still resonates with you. And that still is a glimmer of hope. And I say that because, you know, so quickly districts talk about what we can't do. 
but that made an impact on you. And then within that, it made an impact on your uh, students as well, you know, and then, and then that was around the entire school. I bet that was a cool environment to be in for yourself and for other people. So tell us about, tell us about your story. So you've been in education and then you transitioned out of the classroom. Tell us a little bit about you, like what caused you to make that decision and what was that decision like for you? So I spent around 10 years in the classroom, but even when I was in high school, I like always knew I wanted to be a teacher. I would go in and I'd volunteer and we'd have like those volunteer hours and I would end up even going in on my own time. And then I was like leading reading groups and I was doing all types of things. So I was always, always knew that I wanted to be a teacher. That was Mm -hmm. never like a thought in my mind. Um, So my first year of teaching was right when the economic crash happened and they right before graduate, the, in the spring, they were like, okay, everyone, you, this is going to be such a great year for everyone. <laughs> and then by the time it was like the fall and we were like getting ready to graduate or whatever direction, it, vice versa, fall, spring, um, they were like, good luck. <laughs> this is going to mm-hmm. be really difficult for all of you. Um, so my first year, I started like three or four weeks into the school year. And basically my two coworkers, they were amazing and as supportive as they can, but they didn't necessarily collaborate with each other. And so they kind of gave a mixed bag of kids. It was actually a really, really challenging group of kiddos. Um, but I was kind of on my own because they didn't collaborate with each other. I tried to force them to collaborate, but they didn't. Um, mm-hmm. And then I ended up finding myself at a STEM school. And that was really where where I found my passion. I always knew I wanted to have kids be exposed to technology. I was always like, even as a kid, I'd be like, taking apart a phone and like rebuilding it or rebuilding the computer, like, you know, figuring out all those kinds of things. Um, Even my dad would call me into his business and like help him set up technical things. So like I was always like really into that and, and knew that there was a lot of exposure that could come from that for students to, you know, have access to that. And then um, I, you know, the economic crisis happened. It was really the downfall of that. And I ended up going into a really traditional uh, charter school <laughs> where kids sat in rows and they had to have their hands crossed at all times and speak in complete sentences. And so oh, wow. that was a really eye-opening experience for me. It really let me hone in on, you know, my classroom management skills and those types of things, but really let me know that that's not how I wanted to teach. I didn't want to teach in a traditional setting of any kind. And then um, after that, I transitioned into a digital media coordinator, but really helped with my coworker, Bobby Bastion. We um, kind of set up a the first like digital media scope and sequence for the district and really were able to collaborate and coordinate with other teachers and they would come in and we would fab things. And, um, then we ended up building a fab lab Hmm. and then I moved to Texas. Um, I had, in the meantime, I had gotten my master's in my administration and I was ready to move into a new, you know, new role. Um, and so this administrative opportunity opened up and I came to Texas and it was not at all what I envisioned or what I dreamed. It was in the upstairs, upstairs of a church with no curriculum oh, wow. and multi-age classroom. And there was like not any parent handbooks and it was, it was just a disaster. Um, I learned a lot, you know, everything is a big learning opportunity. I cried a lot. It was like really emotional and the parents were like, it had been like a homeschool hybrid before. It okay. was the first time that they were going like more traditional. So parents would come into your come into your classroom at any time and start like berating you because they didn't like what you were doing. And oh, it was wow. just it was a really interesting um, experience. And so at that time, I knew I have to got to do something different. Like it doesn't matter where I am; these hardships continue to be the same sort of hardships. And so I went back to the traditional classroom, and um, it. 
it was a, it was challenging to go back to a traditional classroom. It's really mm-hmm. di- I found it really really difficult. I wanted to do STEM. I wanted to do it, so I would do it slyly. Um, <laughs> and then one time I had an observation, an unannounced observation, and my principal came in with the tech like the science coordinators and they saw that I was building catapults, um, but letting students work through the engineering design um, cycle rather than, (laughs) rather than using these pre-assembled kits. I had like all this trash on the ground and like they were doing all (laughs) kinds of stuff and they were all, you know, collaborating. They were all working through and they had diagrams and they were showing, showing these STEM coordinators, the diagrams and they were not pleased. Um, and they so they pulled, me, they, were not happy. they pulled me down and like, this is not what you're supposed to be doing. Everyone's supposed to be mirroring each other and, um, different things. And then my principal turned to me and just said, I think you're just too innovative, um, for teaching. Wow. And I was like, Hmm, interesting. Okay. Well, I know, I know that kids can do this cause I've done this before. So this isn't like a newsflash of anything. Also we're in Austin, a very innovative city. Yeah. So this is an interesting perspective. Um, and so then I just like really had to have a hard look inside. Like, is this what I want to continue doing? Can mm. I keep crying? Can I keep swimming upstream? Yeah. Um, so I started organizing. Um, I found a meetup group because I knew I needed a new network and it was called EdTech Austin. And then I um, attended a couple of them. I was like, all right, I think this is where I could find myself being. So I asked the organizer if I could, you know, volunteer in some capacity. Um, and it was really just organizing events between the, um, partnership between teachers, schools, and ed tech companies. And so we would have like, you know, little sessions, maybe it'd be a focus group, maybe it'd be focusing on 21st century learning, or maybe it would be uh, a tech startup kind of pitching their company or different things like that. And so I really knew there was a window of opportunity. <laughs> However, when I started yeah. applying, I was shooting in the wind, like, wherever direction I wanted to go. I was like applying it for everything and anything to just get out of the classroom. Mm-hmm. Um, and really quickly learned that that was not a good strategy. <laughs> <laughs> um, I was like, like Costco positions, you know, like where you would go and set up like the um, exhibit, like not the exhibits, but the demonstration booths um, for like different companies. So like, then I would, I was like interviewing for those. And I was like, okay, this is silly, Lena. Like you need to get yourself <laughs> together. Um, so then I just really strategically started applying for more companies that I knew were in my wheelhouse, computer science companies at tech companies where I knew my heart was. Mm, um, and once I started honing in on that strategy, it became much easier. Thanks for sharing your story. That was nice to go down that journey with you and to sort of walk that path. It's also upsetting you know, because to be told that you're being too innovative and you're trying something different in the classroom that is the essence of STEM and being told by the STEM coordinator that not to do that, um, <laughs> you know, that's very upsetting. I, I could see how that would, you know, be frustrating and demotivating and wanting to push you away rather than pulling you in and fostering growth from that. And a- as you work with other people, other people, teachers trying to transition out of the classroom into a different field, what are some things? things you've learned uh, through that process? What I've learned for the majority of teachers who are transitioning is everyone is facing hardships Mm. and everyone's journey is going to be different. Not every single journey. There's never one journey that looks exactly the same. I've never seen it. It probably won't happen. It's just, that's just not how it's going to be. But, um, but I think what, what I uniquely see is a lot of teachers will come to me and they'll be like, help. (laughs) (laughs) okay (laughs) i'm happy to help you but like what what is it that you're wanting and they're not really sure on on a direction to go because as teachers you do everything right you're the counselor you're mom and dad you're um 
you know, you're a problem solver, you're a project coordinator, you do fundraising, you do, you know, your own social media, you're really marketing, mm -hmm. your life cycle, you're like all these different components that it can be really hard to determine what you want to do. And so when teachers come to me, the first thing I always say is, hey, slow down. I need you to do an audit of what you do like in a month or in a day. And that mm. needs to include everything that you do personally too, like your hobbies, all of those types of things. And I okay. always say, put them in three categories, a like, a dislike, and a neutral. And you kind of need to audit everything. Do you like grading papers? Do you like, you know, the different things that you like and don't like? And you'll start to see things will jump out on the page at, at you of things that you really like. Like you might not like data keeping, you know, data analysis or, you know, those types of things. And so once you kind of have that, then it's, it's an easier way to kind of have a pathway in. But I think immediately teachers are like, let me do my resume. I'm going to start applying mm. to hundreds of jobs. But I just don't think that in today's world that there are so many teachers transitioning more than ever before um, that it's that easy to just put your resume and get hired mm -hmm. at a job. I'm not saying that I haven't se – I've seen a few people do that. <laughs> I'm always, it blows my mind. Um, <laughs> but most times there is some fundamental steps that you need to do before you do your resume, before you start applying for jobs, um, that you just really need to take a hard look inside. And the list is the best way to do that. Yeah. And we've talked about a lot of reasons, like reasons why people are moving out of the classroom. We talked about your story. And I want to circle back to that a little bit more with the lens of people that you've worked with, right? So we started off, you talked about, you know, workload, the workplace, the pay. And I want to circle back and I want to ask the same question, but through a different, a different way and see if there's any other responses that come up. So as you're working with, you know, these many different teachers transitioning out of the classroom, what have you seen sort of come to the surface or rise to the surface as, as the major reasons why teachers are leaving? What, what have you seen? I think twofold. Obviously, we said workload. We've said pay. Mm -hmm. But I think it's also respect. I think that when teachers leave and they end up transitioning into a new place, they're like, oh, I feel hurt. Oh, mm -hmm. I can go to the bathroom. Mm -hmm. Oh, I can get lunch. Like there's just fundamental things that you need as a human being. But I think mm -hmm. being respected is the biggest one that teachers, when they transition that ends up being the underlying thing of what they've been missing. They've been missing not being respected as a, yeah. you know, individual. They are treated often as students rather mm. than being yeah, as a trusted, respected individual who has thought leadership. Mm. Um, and so I think those are the those are really the tricky components in the work. And the workload can get too much. Like uh, it is just can be a, it can break your back literally. Yeah. Um, and I think teachers sometimes get so down on themselves and can be so isolating. Te being a teacher mm -hmm. is isolating. Um, mm -hmm. I think those components and, and the non-collaboration is are all really big key indicators for why a teacher will leave. Lena, it's time for the final word. What would you like to say to close out this podcast? First, I just want to say thank you so much for <laughs> having me on. It's been really great. Um, I would say if you're a teacher looking to stay or looking to looking to stay in the classroom, I'm going to have two little final words here. Um, just find people. Find people that you can mm. collaborate with, connect with, and kind of share your workload. It's going to change your life, and it's going to change your perspective on teaching. And I would say those that are looking to leave the classroom, same thing. Find a network of people that you can collaborate mm. with and you can connect with and can encourage you to make the leap, 
whatever you decide to do, just know that you're not alone in the process. Before we end, who do you want to give a shout out to? I know you said usually people give shout outs to specific people, but I think I'm just going to give my shout out to teachers, teachers that are staying in and teachers that are leaving. And just thank you for what you do day in and day out for students and all the things that you faced over the last couple of years are pretty crazy. And yeah. um, we still think about you and we still fight the battle for you, whether we're in yeah. the classroom or out. Lena, thank you so much for joining me on this podcast and all of your insight. Listeners, thank you for joining us on the Diving Deep EDU podcast. If you liked this episode, subscribe, rate, review, and share it out. Until next time. Wow, it's time to reflect. That's astounding. You've been checking out the podcast from Matthew Downing. Hope you like diving deep like a scuba diver. And the show provoked hope. That's our true desire. 